Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following program contains adult content Explicit language and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I'm not alone. Stop for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. The pretty one looks. Talks in the road. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would who who whose life would be. I harm someone each time. I- Kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first, an uh, enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again to come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. And what will we be covering this week, Barney. Well, that's right. We have joined forces and it's time for another special. Yay! This one has been brought to us um, via Tim Shepard. He sent us an email about the case and we looked into it and it was just too damn good to cut down to like a half hour sort of deal. So we decided to to do the full episode on it because it's fucking fascinating. Well, let me tell you about it. In May 1994, Caravan Park owner Angelo Agostinelli went missing from the small town of Millicent in South Australia. The gossip around town was that he'd run off with another woman. But as days turned into weeks, an intricate murder conspiracy unfolded. Ooh, this case is a fascinating Australian Gothic-style story of rumours, cover-ups and betrayal. Oh, it's a good one. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Okay, Tara, it's time for us to get murdery. Let's do it. In May 1994, Angelo Agostinelli ran a local shop and caravan park in the small town of Millicent in South Australia. 33-year-old Angelo lived there with his wife, Gina, and her two children from a previous marriage, 11-year-old Mark and 10-year-old Shane. One morning, Gina woke up to find her husband had vanished. Where did he go? The town of Millicent is southeast of Adelaide and is described as a significant rural centre with verdant parklands, numerous farms, timber industries and close proximity to Canunda National Park. 
Angelo's sudden disappearance would start tongues wagging and fairly strong rumours began to circulate. In fact, the disappearance of Angelo would send the small town of Millicent into a frenzy and in time, all of the town's dirty laundry would be hung out to dry and all its dirty little secrets were exposed. It would also turn a lot of the townsfolk vegetarian. Yeah, it did. Strangely, it took Gina a week to phone police after her husband's disappearance. Sergeant Steve Chappell was working at the Millicent Police Station and took the call from Gina. He knew her quite well as their shop, or deli as they called it, was his local, where he picked up his milk, bread and sundries. Packet of Winnie Blues, maybe uh, Polly Waffle. Yeah, you know, uh, ham sandwich. Sausage roll with sauce. Oh, definitely that. Yeah, that kind of shop. Gina, who ran the lakeside caravan park in Delhi with her husband, said that Angelo had taken off and had been missing for a week after they had an argument where she told him to piss off. A week seemed like a long time to Sergeant Chapel, but Gina told him it wasn't unusual. He had done it before. He'd gone down to Adelaide earlier in the year after another marital spat and she hadn't heard from him for the first two or three days, so she just assumed this was the same. The couple had been married for four years, and the marriage had not been going well. There were rumours that Angelo had been striking Gina's two children, which is really not okay. Not cool, dude. Nah, uh uh-uh. Most people in Millicent thought that Angelo would come crawling back in a couple of days after his fight with Gina. Nothing unusual here. But there was actually something unusual here, as this time Angelo hadn't taken anything with him. According to Gina, Angelo had taken a call from an unknown person and said the words, meet me, and then ran out of the caravan. Gina told Sergeant Chapel Angelo hadn't taken his car or his phone. Gina also told him she'd found $5,000 missing from the safe. But she didn't think he'd taken it that night because the safe was within the van and she felt she would have heard him go to the safe and take the money before he left. Even more gossip started to spread around the community. Juicy. Mm, Oh, yeah. Most of the townsfolk thought Angelo was having an affair. Gina had heard some rumours that Angelo might have been having a relationship with a lady from Tantanula. Let's call her Terry. Tantanula was a small town not far from Millicent with a population of just 200 people. Now, here's a fun fact for you, Tara. Yeah, I do like fun facts. Well, Tantanula is known for the Tantanula tiger, a phantom cat which supposedly stalked the area during the late 19th century. Apparently, a tiger had got escaped from a circus or something, and they thought it might be that tiger. Yeah. The animal turned out to be an Arabian wolf. Although how it arrived in South Australia has been the subject of a number of theories. It is currently preserved, well, it's stuffed, and is on display at the Tantanula Hotel. Well, there's a reason to go to Tantanula, if ever I heard one. Maybe the ghost of the Tantanula tiger had taken Angelo. Oh, well, at this point, as far as the rumour mill goes, anything's possible. Hmm. Terry from Tantanula was known to police for what they said were health issues. She was also thought to have associated with a number of men in the area, so people weren't surprised that Angelo might have been with her. Oh, a little bit of subtle slut-shaming there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I did not care for that. No, but, uh, me either. That's what the police said. I know. It was in the reports. 
Police went to Terry's house in Tantanula to try and find Angelo. They knocked on her door, but nobody was at home. Police then spoke to neighbours. They told police that Terry had gone to Adelaide the week before, which was around the same time that Angelo had left the caravan park. Oh, the plot thickens. Or does it? Or does it? Three days after the report had been filed, there was still no sign of Angelo or Terry from Tantanula. None of Angelo's bank accounts had been touched and nobody had heard from him. Angelo's brother Vic said, I thought that he could have gone with the other woman, but my brother wouldn't have gone anywhere without his four-wheel drive. He just loved his car. He just liked driving it. He wouldn't let anyone else drive it. And he just loved his four-wheel drive. See, if the car was missing, I would have just assumed that he'd run off with his car. To get married. Mm, Probably. Yeah. Terry from Tantanula's house was put under surveillance as police thought Angelo may be hiding out inside. The police asked Angelo's family questions about whether he might have been involved in gambling or drugs or owed people money. They also asked whether they believed he might be suicidal. His brother Vic indicated that he'd been under a bit of stress at work and that he'd been having some problems in his marriage, but in no way was his brother suicidal. Police at this stage were thinking that there were only three possible scenarios. He had left with Terry from Tantanula, or maybe someone else. He committed suicide, or there was foul play involved. A week after Angelo had been reported missing, police finally caught up with Terry from Tantanula. She told the police that she knew Angelo but was not involved in any relationship with him. She said that she'd been to the Lakeside Caravan Park Deli a couple of times and had chatted to Angelo, but other than that, she had no further dealings with him, especially not carnal ones. No. Now, Tara... Another rumour was starting to do the rounds of the town. Uh-huh. This time, it was Gina who was accused of having an affair with a man called Gary Lewis. Gary was the local butcher and had been living in the caravan park for six months. When questioned, Gina denied she'd been having any sort of relationship with the butcher boy, Gary. She told police that her relationship with Angelo was solid, that he was a loving husband, but on occasions they'd argue, mostly about things to do with the caravan park. Police also questioned Gary Lewis, and he too denied that he was knocking boots with Gina. Mm -hmm. He said he got on very well with both Angelo and Gina and played cards with them on a regular basis. Was it strip poker? No, he'd bring over a cask of wine and they'd sit outside their caravan and, I don't know, Play poker, Play Uno. Uno. Oh, Uno. Maybe Cards Against Humanity. That's a fun game. Yeah, that wasn't around in 94, I don't believe. Maybe they invented it? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Okay, we should probably just stick to the facts, yeah. Well, Gary added he would take evening walks with Gina, but there was no more to their relationship than that. Police felt there was something that Gina and Gary were not telling them, but believed there was still a strong chance that Angelo would be found because he had left home before and had returned. And, of course, the rumour that Angelo was with Terry from Tantanula persisted. Some folks even believed Angelo may have fallen prey to another Tantanula tiger. A Tantanula cougar? (laughs) Oh, quite possibly. The police still had patrols keeping an eye on Terry from Tantanula's house looking for him. They even peered through her windows just trying to make sure Angelo wasn't there. Oh, that's a bit rough on Terry from Tantanula. creepy and stalky. It was around this time that Sergeant Chappell 
heard another rumour. Oh, because we haven't had enough of those already. Ah, small towns, nothing like it. This one came from his wife. Oh. She had heard from the local hairdressers that Gina had cut her wrist quite badly on the meat slicer at the deli. The strange thing was, this happened around the same time that Angelo disappeared. When questioned by police, Gina explained that she hadn't cut her arm on the meat slicer as she'd told people, but that she'd had a fight with Angelo on the night of his disappearance. Gina's story was that during the argument, she'd pointed a finger at him and he'd picked up a knife from the kitchen bench and cut her wrist. She'd wrapped the arm in a green towel and then went down to Gary's caravan where she sought his help to go to the hospital. Gina told police that she would have told them about the cut earlier, but didn't want Angelo to get into any trouble. Police now had some serious doubts about her story and believed that she was somehow involved in Angelo's disappearance and that Gary may also be involved. Ah, butcher boy Gary. Yeah, he's got ways of disposing of a body. Forensics were called in and Gina was convinced to let them search her caravan. There were some traces of blood on some carpet, but the stain was quite old and given the time this occurred, it wasn't likely that it was caused by bleeding from her wrist. The carpet was cut out and taken for further testing, but no other blood could be found anywhere in the caravan. Now this was a little unusual when you consider the size of that laceration on Gina's wrist. You'd expect there would be a lot of blood. As we know, blood can be difficult to clean up and traces are always left. That's right. Just spray some luminol around the Uh, place. Boom. Forensics then moved to the vehicle that Angelo loved so dearly. The four-wheel drive had a tailgate flip-up door at the rear and that was where there appeared to be a blood stain on the carpet. But it wasn't really enough to seize the vehicle at the time, so it was just locked up and the keys were returned to Gina. This must have rattled Gina. The next day she phoned Sergeant Chappell and told him to tell the detectives to back off. They were picking on her and she was being treated unfairly and they should do their job and find Angelo. She kept telling him to look in the right place. Sergeant Chappell asked her what's the right place, but Gina didn't answer. Police, now fearing the worst, searched the local swimming lake and nearby scrubland but found nothing. It was at this time forensics thought they would have another look at Angelo's car. But that faint blood stain that they'd seen last time they looked was now almost gone. Had it faded in only a couple of days? Or had somebody tried to clean it? This time around, they also found more blood behind the tailgate door handle. Gina was asked to explain this, but couldn't tell police why there could be blood in the rear section or on the tailgate of the car. A day later, the possible answer to how the blood got there was put to police by one of the Caravan Park residents. Henry Miller came forward with a story that Angelo had been working on the back of the four-wheel drive, repairing a window from one of the caravans, and had cut himself with a drill bit. Forensics went back and examined the caravan window where he would have used the drill to put a new pop rivet in. There was no evidence of blood there. It was now time to take Angelo's car in and pull it apart for a thorough forensic examination. When they stripped back the trim of the tailgate and actual locking mechanism, they found about 10 millilitres of blood. Now, Tara, that's a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood. Certainly more than Henry Miller described. He said that Angelo fixed his drill bit wound with a Band-Aid. 
Blood had actually dripped down from inside the window glass of the tailgate and whoever cleaned up the blood on the window itself didn't pull the tailgate apart. Rookie mistake, eh, Barney? Clearly. Now, the interesting part about what Henry Miller said is that he was prompted to remember that story and to come forward with it by Gina. Blood from the car was sent to Adelaide for DNA testing, along with samples from Angelo's family. Major crime detectives headed down from Adelaide to assist in the investigation. At this point, they had serious suspicions about foul play in relation to Angelo's disappearance, but still couldn't rule out that he'd just taken off of his own accord. I think it's time for a nationwide press conference. It definitely is. Let's play the clip. Well, Ange, wherever you are, whatever, whatever's happened, just please come out. Doesn't matter if you don't get in touch with me. Just ring somebody to let us know where you are, please. We're in enough hurt as it is at the moment. So please, please get in touch with somebody, please. Gina, can you think of any reason why uh, Angelo might have left? No, nothing at all. So what do you think of Gina's performance? Convincing? She sounded quite emotional and teary. She really did, but we've seen a lot of press conferences from guilty parties where they also seemed quite emotional and teary. Yeah, I think it's called crocodile tears. Yeah, it is when they use them for evil instead of good. Not long after the appeal was made, the blood results came back from the blood found in the car. It was indeed Angelo's. Now, rumours around Millicent were now rife. A popular one which began to go around was that Angelo had been put through the mincer at the supermarket where Gary Lewis worked as a butcher and people became fearful of buying meat. Millicent actually had elderly ladies quite concerned they might be buying packets of meat that weren't, well, normal. (laughs) That's an understatement, isn't it? Angelo sausages aside, police now believed they were investigating a homicide. They figured that Angelo had been murdered and more than likely Gary and Gina were responsible for it. Now here's the rub, Tara. Police decided to put listening devices in Gina's caravan and Gary's cabin. They hoped the couple would blab about Angelo's disappearance or his murder, but what they heard was totally unexpected. Helen Miller was another resident of Lakeside Caravan Park and the wife of Henry Miller, who had told police about Angelo's so-called accident with the drill. Helen was a good friend of Gina's and had told police that she had washed the towel that Gina had given her from the night that her wrist had been cut. Helen went to Gary's cabin and said, I don't know how I can cope any longer, to which Gary replied he was coping with it by practising yoga and he suggested she do the same. Good advice. Well, a butcher that practices yoga. Interesting. He does tantric sex, probably like Sting as well, and saves rainforests and goes well, to strip I mean, clubs. Well, I mean, that's how you save rainforests. You do tantric sex and you go to strip clubs. If you can think of a better way to do it, I'd like I, to hear it. I mean, there are petitions and everything, but I think the tantric sex is how you really fuck the rainforest back into existence. But that was it. Gina and Gary weren't saying anything incriminating. It was time to attack the weakest link. It was time to bring in Helen Miller for questioning. Uh, let's hear what she had to say. Gary came and got me on the Thursday morning, around about 1.30, I'd say, and uh, asked me to watch the kids because she had a cut arm. Gary took her to the hospital. I don't know what else you want me to say. 
هر چی سر چی دارم چی تار می انجلاید که سر وارد So during the interview, Helen gave conflicting reports about when Gina cut her wrist. She also claimed Angelo had been shot. Gina and Gary were immediately arrested and charged with murder. The search effort stepped up with police scouring the local tip or rubbish dump. The Millicent tip joins the National Park and butchers have a key to it so they can get in at any time to use an offal pit. It seemed promising. (gasps) Bag searching the offal pit! But that search proved fruitless. Oh, searching an awful pit. That would have been fun. Oh, I know. They couldn't bring the dogs in for it, could they? They just would be like, yum. They would have just yum. Detectives decided to go back to Helen Miller and see what else she knew or whether she was holding anything back. That was when they learned that Gary hadn't actually shot Angelo. This story just keeps going up and up and up, doesn't it? Gary had told Helen that he'd actually stabbed Angelo and it was during the course of the stabbing that Gina had received the wound to her wrist. Police contacted Gina's lawyers in the hope that she might tell them what really went down on the night Angelo disappeared. She initially agreed to show them where her husband's body was. Then she changed her mind. Fortunately, that wasn't the case when detectives contacted Gary Lewis who gave them an exact location. On June 25th, 1994, police made their way into Canunda National Park. Covered over with some twigs and branches, in the dense scrub, they found the body of Angelo Agostinelli. When the branches and undergrowth were moved away from the top of the body, they could see his shirt, which had the words Lakeside Dally written on it. As Angelo's body was taken to the morgue, police began an interview with Gary Lewis. Should we hear some of that, you think? I think we should. Yeah, we totally should. Hello, Gary. 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 Hello, Gary.
I understand that you wish to, uh, to make a statement to me this morning in connection with the disappearance of Angelo Agostinello. Is that correct, Gary? That's true. I went up the shop one off and there was a hell of a row going on. He was getting stuck into g -Nod. He had bad mood swings, always complaining about different things. Was always at the children. And that's when Gene and I used to get very close. All I know is I just wanted to help Gina. What the, was the nature of the discussion with Gina, can you recall? She wanted him down in tonight. Did you go into the caravan? Yes. Um, tell me what you saw in there. And so I was laying on the bed. She was outside. I was standing in the bedroom. Didn't know what to do. And she'd come back in the van. I'd make some excuse. And she'd go back outside again. I was trapped. He woke up. And Gina had just come in at that time. He tried to walk across the bed. And I sucked it. He could sit on the side of the ball. So what was Gina saying? She was just screaming at me. To do what? To do it. She what? wanted me to kill him for her and the boys. Right. And she just kept at me. And when we stopped, we got him out the car. Do you remember where that was? No, nah, just on the side of the road. Yeah. He wanted to get out and be sick. No. And tell me what happened at that point. That's when Gina started yelling at me again. No. To do it. She kept at me. I don't know what happened. I just reached out with a knife. There's nothing to see that. I'll never forget his voice. He just yelled at me, why did you do that for? How many times did you study? I don't know. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Gary told the police he had put Angelo into the back of the car and driven him to an area where he then dragged his body into the bush. But Angelo had been stabbed not once as Gary had claimed, but many times. The post-mortem of Angelo showed multiple stab wounds to the stomach as well as a deep stab wound to the heart. The other major finding at the post-mortem examination was a substantial head wound. So serious was the injury that it could not have been caused by Angelo hitting his head against a cupboard or a headboard of a bed. A weapon had to be involved, possibly a hammer, but probably something bigger like a sledgehammer. Gary also told police that Gina had been trying to kill Angelo for months and that Helen Miller had been assisting her. Police interviewed Helen again and put the allegations that she was involved to her. She admitted she'd crushed 18 Valium tablets and put them in six cream puffs to be given to Angelo. But the poisoning attempts didn't stop there. 
Gary also implicated Helen's son Adrian into the conspiracy. Police spoke with Adrian and he confessed that Gina gave him $600 to buy heroin. That'd be a lot of heroin. It would be. Mm. He drove to Melbourne but got cold feet and just bought some speed instead. They did in fact give some of this to Angelo in a drink, but it just made him peppy and full of beans before giving him a headache. They also gave him food lace with prothiodin and horse medicine. Probably not cough syrup, more like ketamine, right? Yeah, and prothiodin is um, uh, antidepressant, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why he was so peppy. <laughs> Adrian also said that Gina had told him she didn't want half, she wanted the lot, meaning the houses they owned in Adelaide and the rather large life insurance policy in Angelo's name. Helen told the police that Gina had drugged his dinner on the night that he was killed. A toxicology screening had been done on Angelo's remains, and the results indicated low levels of Valium. So, Tara, I think I have a theory on how he died. Yes, do tell. He was drugged, he was in bed, he was asleep. Mm-hmm. They've hit him with a sledgehammer. Yep. They've grabbed his body, put it in the car to dump it in bushland because they think he's dead. Yeah. He's woken up. They've got out of the car. Gina's held his arms and Gary has stabbed him. This is where she got cut. Okay, that's interesting because often if you're the one doing the stabbing because of all the blood, the knife slips and you can be cut, but probably not in the wrist the way that Helen was. Yeah, I've seen photos of that cut. It was quite a substantial cut. Many, many stitches. Right, okay. Right across the front of her wrist. Yeah. See, that, that sounds pretty logical to me as well from what I've looked into with this. Mm. Henry, Adrian and Helen Miller were charged with conspiracy to murder. But there's more. In fact, there's another murder here, Tara. Yeah, crazy, right? Adrian Miller was now telling police that Gary Lewis had killed before. The story Adrian told was that an itinerant worker, known only as Bluey, was in town and that Gary and Gina had arranged for him to kill Angelo for the princely sum of $1,000. But Bluey had asked for more money. He argued with Gary over this and Gary had killed him. Bluey was said to have been murdered in the house where Gary lived before moving to the caravan park. Adrian had told the detectives that he'd actually visited the house and had seen a large stained area on the carpet. When police went back to the scene, they were able to confirm that there was a stain on the floor, but as it had been cleaned with chemicals, it could not be confirmed it was indeed blood. But they did find a half-split waterbed bladder. Oh, intriguing. Mm -hmm. Adrian said that Gary had killed Bluey, had put him in the split waterbed bladder and had he taken him out and buried him very close to where Angela was found under a bridge at Bevlock's Ford. Okay, so apparently he was buried in the other half of the waterbed bladder, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. The waterbed bladder was inspected, tests were done on it and it gave a weak indication for blood. The blood did not match any of the people that were already involved in the case. And here's something interesting, Tara. Mm -hmm. There was also a piece of paper located at the house with the words, Gina, $1,000. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to write IOUs when you're paying a hitman. Definitely not a good idea. Probably not a good idea to even hire a hitman if we're thinking about it. Now, police spoke to Gary again, and this is what he said about Bluey. I was a person of Bluey. Bluey was a, a make-up person. He went down on an agent. Long about getting rid of Angelo. The pressure started to mount on me. The only thing I could come up with was the makeup drooling. Did you tell them anything else, what you'd done with his body? Yeah, I 
telling them I dumped the body under the bridge. Did you put anybody's body under that bridge? No. <laughs> Bluey don't exist, Alan. Bluey exists up here, mate. Oh, Bluey, he don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> but police believe that Bluey may well have existed. Locals had seen an itinerant around the town and given them a description. They searched under the bridge where his body was supposedly buried. They pumped out the water and got divers down from the police squad in Adelaide, but no body was ever found. However, one interesting item did turn up. The police found a large sledgehammer under the bridge. They suspected it may have been the weapon used on poor Angelo the night he was murdered, as you said earlier. That's right. Gina and Gary were arrested and went to trial. Just before the trial of Gina and Gary, though, Terry from Tantanula was found hanging in her house. Her death was ruled a suicide. Aw, Terry. Now, interestingly, after reading the court transcripts, there were a number of other plans to kill Angelo mentioned. Gary took Angelo to a marijuana plantation, apparently to kill him, but could not go through with it. Gary later told Gina and the Millers that Angelo was suspicious of the four of them and that he thought Gina was trying to kill him. That's when they got Bluey involved. Another plan they had was that Gary suggested taking Angelo to the coast in order to push him off a cliff. Gary did in fact drive Angelo to a beach, but instead they got in a fight and Gary gave him a beating. It was just after this that Angelo took off to Adelaide and didn't come home for a few days. So that's what caused that incident earlier. That's right. And he gave him a beating to say, back off, get away from Gina and stop hitting the kids. That's apparently what happened. Yeah. And there's actually evidence that he was beating the kids. So this kind of makes sense. When he returned to the caravan park after his little jaunt in Adelaide, Mm -hmm. the arguments with Gina got more fierce and more ferocious. Helen Miller described one occasion and Adrian Miller two occasions where Angelo hit Gina's 11-year-old son, Mark. Yeah, that's that's abhorrent behaviour. It really is. Gina and Gary were both given life sentences with a non-parole period of 20 years, but in an appeal against the severity of the sentence, that non-parole period was reduced – Both were paroled in 2011 after 16 years in prison. But what came up at the appeal is basically the motive for the whole thing. Initially, the prosecutors were pushing a greed motive. Yeah, with the life insurance and the properties. Yeah, they were lovers trying to... Gina and um, Gary. Gina and Gary were lovers and they were trying to, you know, get his estate. Yeah. But what they what came out in the appeal was the motive was more that she was trying to protect herself and her children. Yeah, because um, Angelo had actually threatened to kill Gina and both of her kids, hadn't he? That's right. Yeah, so she felt, and it also said, if you try to leave me, I'll track you down. Like it was that kind of domestic family violence situation. Yeah, that's right. I I don't think this justifies murder. I don't think anything no, justifies murder. But it certainly. Gives a motive for it, you know? Gives it another layer, this twisted tale, because it needed another layer, right? It really did. Now, as Helen and Adrian Miller agreed to give evidence, their charges were reduced. Helen was charged with impeding an investigation and administering a poison. She was sentenced to four years jail and did one year before being released on parole. Adrian received a suspended sentence. The man they called Bluey's body was never found. Gary Lewis still denies murdering the drifter, described by police as a bikey type. Police at the time said there was a feeling around town that the Bluey story was a myth. 
It certainly is not, one detective said. We have a murder and evidence of a murder, but no identity on the victim. The problem with Kanunda National Park is much of it is only accessible by trail bike or four-wheel drive. It is thick and it could be a long time before any body is found. Detectives do have some evidence on the case, but are holding back some details from the media. And the case is still open. Mm. It's been a long time, though. It really has. It's been a very long time. What a, like, Australian Gothic sort of rumoury small town fascinating tale this is. It's amazing how Gina got that all of those people on side, though. Yeah, but I think that really legitimises her her claims that uh, Angelo was abusive because... The other people probably saw or heard something that showed them that. By the way, there was no evidence that Gary and Gina were actually knocking boots, that yeah. they were romantically involved. He was maybe just a stand-up guy that was trying to protect this, this close friend. It's possible. It's also possible that um, she was, in fact, just wanting his estate and the fact that there was you know, some violence in there just sort of fueled it more. It's possible he was entirely abusive and she was just terrified and she got her friends to help her. But you it's know? also possi- possible that she was quite manipulative. Yeah. And, and she was playing everyone. We saw her at that press conference. Mm-hmm. Very teary, very good actor. Yeah, but she probably was, even if it was justifiable and that she felt threatened by him, the fact that it had happened, there's press there, she has to talk to them, like those tears could have been real in a way. Well, she had all of um, Angelo's family around her. Yeah, Angelo come back, that bit was acting, that's for sure. Yeah, wow, what a story. I know, it's so complicated. Mm, Conspiracy. All right, Tara, I believe it's time for an Aussie As. Uh, What is that again? Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. And I know you'd like to hear one. All right. So this guy named Cole Olsen, who's probably nicknamed Colio, drove to a New South Wales McDonald's drive-thru just before 5am on November 11th last year and demanded to be served 200 chicken nuggets. Mm, A fine meal. When staff refused his request, because nuggets aren't on the breakfast menu, the shit-faced IT worker circled the drive through four times, yelling profanity-laden abuse at staff. Would you like to hear some choice cuts from what he said? <laughs> I would. Here we go. I want my fucking nuggets. Give me my goddamn cheeky nug-nugs. I'm going to fuck you all up. Give me my chicken nug nugs. Um, so, after the Macca's staff held their ground and refused to give him his cheeky nug nugs, he ordered 200 hash browns instead and paid the $440 for them. Whoa. Whoa, indeed. It's not the same as a nug nug. No, a hash it is browns not. way, a hashy hash is way bigger than a nug nug. Staff at the Thornley store gave the belligerent wanker his 200 hash browns before locking the doors and calling the police. When stopped by officers, Colio blew 0.175, which is three and a half times over the legal limit. How many hash browns did he eat before oh, he got I don't think he over. could have got more than a few hashies down before that happened. Yeah, maybe 10? May- oh, at the most. Yeah. And no nug nugs. In court, the magistrate described Colio's lick-it-up chicken nugget frenzy as crazy, bizarre, and completely out-of-control behaviour. Yeah, unacceptable. Oh. 
The magistrate said Colio must have been more than just very drunk, but also on drugs or suffering mental health issues. Apparently there weren't mental health issues, so it wasn't that. Colio pleaded guilty to high-range drink driving and was fined $1,000, placed on a 12-month good behaviour bond and had his licence suspended for nine months. So, yeah, don't do that. Not cool. He probably should have been ordered onto an all-salad diet too. Yeah, no nug-nugs for you, Colio. <laughs> now, in August this year, McDonald's in Australia changed their breakfast menu to have chicken nuggets available 24-7. Now, I'm not saying the two things are connected but they certainly could be. Give me my goddamn cheeky nug nugs. <laughs> they don't have to hear that anymore. You can get no. your goddamn cheeky nug nugs 24-7 now. Oh, well, that was an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> Is that real? Well, I found it in, like, newspaper articles online. Well, so that's I'm assuming fan- so. Absolutely fantastic. You notice a lot of the Aussie Azzas involve, like, late night slash early morning fast food attacks. They do. They really do. They really do. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. We had some donations. Yeah, we did. We did. We had a lovely donation from Jennifer Foxcroft. So thank you so much, thanks. Jennifer. You, you supplied the beers for tonight. You did indeed. And they're delicious. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraband. And we just did some bloody murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast, if you want to have that much awesome murdery fun. Damn straight. And follow us on Twitter and Snapshit and Insta. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes, sweet, sweet merchandise, and links to our range of perfume. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Give me my goddamn fucking chicken nugs. <laughs> wow, that was a lot of hash browns to eat too. Imagine if you did. You couldn't eat them. Did he request a specific dipping sauce though? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know. Like, did they give them to him in a box? And also, they're not really great for a reheat, so he probably only got to down several before he got arrested. Hey, when you get your chicken nuggets, do you request a specific dipping sauce? What, what, what do you get? I hardly ever go. Donald's. Oh, come on. But if I do, sweet and sour. Because oh, I really? want it to be like sweet and sour chicken from a Chinese takeaway. Yeah, right. What I, about I, you? They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. I say no to the dipping sauce. Yeah, you would. You're I make my own. You're a recalcitrant motherfucker, aren't you? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> if you talk long enough, you lose your point entirely. Look, Tara, I'm just going to put my ball gag back in now. Okay, and, you uh, should. That's done. Excellent. That's, our episode is done. Police at this stage were thinking that they were... Thinking. I liked it. Thinking. Thinking. Thinking and wishing and hoping and praying. <laughs> <laughs> Cover of that, oh, it'd be amazing. Australian, Australian, mate. Aussie as Australia. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I fucking <laughs> lost it now. <laughs> I like that about it. All right, we got this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.